Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday, February 29th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. Uh, again, my brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing great work for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a real good chance you're going to find, excuse me, more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, we're going to be continuing on with our reading this morning in the new reading plan, the five day a week plan. And then we're going to be continuing on. We're finally moving into a new section of John 18. <laughs> I mean, it's the still, still, still the overall Jesus's trial and Peter's denial, but we're going to move on into Peter's denial. We finally got through verses 12, 13, and 14, and we're going to get into verses 15 through 18 today. I don't know if we'll get through all of it, but we'll work our way through as far as we can. All right. So with all that said, why don't we go ahead and open up with the fifth day morning prayer called the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege, privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness, stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear, allure us into thy presence, Help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state, and by so doing let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, and our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and uh, wow, Oh yeah, I'm going to need, actually, <laughs> I forgot about it. So we're going to have to use the evening one. At least we. this is February 29th. Okay, this is Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 29th. I wasn't sure there was going to be one. Um, all right, and the text for it is uh, from Jeremiah 31.3. With loving kindness have I drawn thee. The thunder of the law and the terrors of judgment are all used to bring us to Christ. But the final victory is effected by loving kindness. The prodigal set out to his father's house from a sense of need, but his father saw him a great way off and ran to meet him, so that the last steps he took towards his father's house were with the kiss still warm upon his cheek, and the welcome still musical, musical in his ears. Law and terrors do but harden, all the while they work alone, but a sense of blood-bought pardon will dissolve a heart of stone. The master came one night to the door and knocked with the iron hand of the law. The door shook and trembled upon its hinges, but the man piled every piece of furniture which he could find against the door, for he said, I will not admit the man. The master turned away, but by and by he came back, 
and with his own soft hand, using most that part where the nail had penetrated, he knocked again, oh so softly and tenderly. This time the door did not shake, but strange to say, it opened, and there upon his knees the once unwilling host was found rejoicing to receive his guest. Come in, come in, thou hast so knocked that my bowels are moved for thee. I could not think of thy pierced hand leaving its blood mark on my door, and of thy going away houseless, thy head filled with dew, and thy locks with the drops of the night. I yield, I yield, thy love has won my heart. So in every case loving kindness wins the day. What Moses with the tablets of stone could never do, Christ does with his pierced hand. Such is the doctrine of effectual calling. Do I understand it experimentally? Can I say he drew me and I followed on glad to confess the voice divine? If so, may he continue to draw me, till at last I shall sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, there we go. All right, now our reading for today is going to be Numbers 3, 4, and 5, and Hebrews 12. So Numbers 3, hear the word of the Lord. Now these are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when Yahweh spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These then are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests whom he ordained to minister as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died before Yahweh, when they offered strange fire before Yahweh in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered sorry, as priests in the lifetime of their father Aaron. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Yahweh, sorry, bring the tribe of Yahweh near, and have them stand before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. And they shall keep his responsibility and the responsibility for the whole congregation before the tent of meeting, to perform the service of the tabernacle. They shall also keep all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, along with the responsibility of the sons of Israel, to perform the service of the tabernacle. You shall thus give the Levites to Aaron and to his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the sons of Israel. So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, that they may keep their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I have taken the Levites from among the sons of Israel, instead of every firstborn, the first offspring of the womb among the sons of Israel. So the Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, from man to beast. They shall be mine, I am Yahweh. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the sons of Levi by their fathers' households, by their families, every male from a month old and upward, you shall number. So Moses numbered them according to the word of Yahweh, just as he had been commanded. These then are the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families, Libni and Shmi, and the sons of Kohath by their families, Amram and Ishar, Hebron and Uziel, and the sons of Merari by their families, Mali and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites according to their fathers' households. Of Gershon was the family of the Libnites and the family of the Shmeites. These were the families of the Gershonites. Their numbered men and the numbering of every male from a month old and upward, even their numbered men, were 7,500. The families of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. And the leader of the father's households of the Gershonites was Eliasaph, the son of Lael. 
Now the responsibility of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting involved the tabernacle and the tent, its covering and the screen for the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the hangings of the court and the screen for the doorway of the court, which is around the tabernacle, and the altar and its cords, according to all the service concerning them. Of Kohath was the family of the Amramites, and the family of the Isserites, and the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the Uzielites. These were the families of the Kohathites. In the numbering of every male, from a month old and upward, there were 8,600 keeping the responsibility of the sanctuary. The families of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the southward side of the tabernacle, and the leader of the father's households of the Kohathite families was Elisaphan, the son of Uziel. Now their responsibilities involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, and the utensils of the sanctuary with which they minister, and the screen and all the service concerning them. And Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest was the chief of the leaders of Levi, and had the oversight of those who keep the responsibility of the sanctuary. Of Merari was the family of the Malites and the family of the Mushites. These were the families of Merari. And their numbered men, and the numbering of every male from a month old and upward, were sixty-two hundred. And the leader of the father's households of the families of Merari was Zuriel the son of Abihail. These were to camp on the northward side of the tabernacle. Now the appointed responsibility of the sons of Merari involved the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its bases, all its equipment, and the service concerning them. And the pillars around the court with their bases and their pegs and their cords, now those who were to camp before the tabernacle eastward, before the tent of meeting, toward the sunrise, are Moses and Aaron and his sons, keeping the responsibility of the sanctuary for the responsibility of the sons of Israel. But the outsider coming near was to be put to death. All the numbered men of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered, at the command of Yahweh by their families, every male from a month old and upward, were twenty-two thousand. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Number every firstborn male of the sons of Israel from a month old and upward, and make a list of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, I am Yahweh, instead of all the firstborn among the sons of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the sons of sorry, sons of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the sons of Israel, just as Yahweh had commanded him. And all the firstborn males, by the number of names, from a month old and upward, for their numbered men were 22,273. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the sons of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites, and the Levites shall be mine. I am Yahweh. For the redemption price of the 273 of the firstborn of the sons of Israel, who are in excess beyond the Levites, you shall take five shekels apiece per head. You shall take them in terms of the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty giras. And give the money, the redemption price of those who are in excess among them, to Aaron and to his sons. So Moses took the money of the redemption price from those who were in excess, beyond those redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the sons of Israel, he took the money in terms of the shekel of the sanctuary. Then Moses gave the money of the redemption price to Aaron and to his sons, at the command of Yahweh, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Numbers 4 Then Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Take a census of the descendants of Kohath from among the sons of Levi, by their families, by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward, even to fifty years old, all who enter the duty of doing the work in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tent of meeting, meeting concerning the most holy things. 
And when the camp sets out, Aaron and his son shall go in, and they shall take down the veil of the screen and cover the ark of the testimony with it. And they shall put a covering of porpoise skin on it, and shall spread over it a cloth of pure blue, and shall insert its poles. Over the table of the bread of the presence they shall also spread a cloth of blue, and put on it the dishes and the pans and the offering bowls, and the jars for the drink offering, and the continual bread shall be on it. And they shall spread over them a, cover, a cloth of scarlet material, and cover the same with a covering of porpoise skin, and they shall insert its poles. Then they shall take a blue cloth, and cover the lampstand for the light, along with its lamps and its tongs, and its trays, and all its oil vessels by which they minister in connection to it. And they shall put it all, put it and all its utensils in a covering of porpoise skin, and shall put it on the carrying bars. And over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth, and cover it with a covering of porpoise skin, and shall insert its poles. And they shall take all the utensils of ministry with which they minister in the sanctuary, and put them in a blue cloth, and cover them with a covering of porpoise skin, and put them on the carrying bars. Then they shall take away the ashes from the altar, and spread a purple cloth over it. They shall also put on it all its utensils by which they minister in connection with it, with it, the fire pans, the flesh hooks, and shovels, and the bowls, all the utensils of the altar, and they shall spread a cover of porpoise skin over it and insert its poles. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meaning which the sons of Kohath are to carry. And the assignment of Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest is the oil for the light, and the fragrant incense, and the continual grain offering, and the anointing oil, the assignment of all the tabernacle, and of all that is in it, with the sanctuary and its furnishings. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Do not let the tribe of the families of the Kohathites be cut off from among the Levites, but do this to them that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy objects. Aaron and his son shall go in and set each of them to his service and to his load, but they shall not go in to see the holy objects even for a moment, or they will die. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Take a census of the sons of Gershon also, by their fathers' households, by their families, from thirty years and upward to fifty years old. You shall number them, all who enter to perform the duty of performing the service in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites, in serving and in caring. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting with its covering and the covering of porpoise skin that is on top of it, and the screen for the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the hangings of the court, and the screen for the doorway of the gate of the court, which is around the tabernacle and the altar, and their cords and all the equipment for their service, and all that is to be done they shall perform. All the service of the sons of the Gershonites, and all their loads, and, all the, and in all their service, shall be performed at the command of Aaron and his sons, and you shall assign to them as a responsibility all their loads. This is the service of the families of the sons of the Gershonites in the tent of meeting, and their responsibility shall be under the direction of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. As for the sons of Merari, you shall number them by their families, by their father's households, from thirty years and upward even to fifty years old. You shall number them every one who enters the duty of performing the service of the tent of meeting. Now this is the responsibility of their loads for all their service in the tent of meeting. The boards of the tabernacle and its bars and its pillars and its bases and the pillars around the court and their bases and their pegs and their cords which with all their equipment and with all their service. You, and you shall assign each man by name the items of the responsibility of his load. 
This is the service of the family of the sons of Merari, according to all their service in the tent of meeting, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So Moses and Aaron and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites by their families and by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward even to fifty years old, everyone who entered the duty of service in the tent of meeting. Their numbered men by their families were twenty-seven hundred and fifty. These are the numbered men of the Kohathite families, everyone who was serving in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. The numbered men of the sons of Gershon, by their families and by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upwards, even to fifty years old, everyone who entered the duty of service in the tent of meeting, their numbered men by their families, by their fathers' households, were twenty-six hundred and thirty. These are the numbered men of the families of the sons of Gershon, everyone who was serving in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of Yahweh. The numbered men of the families of the sons of Merari, by their families, by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upward, even to fifty years old, everyone who entered the duty of service in the tent of meeting. Their numbered men by their families were thirty-two hundred. These are the numbered men of the families of the sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. All the numbered men of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron and the leaders of Israel numbered, by their families and by their fathers' households, from thirty years and upwards, even to fifty years old, everyone who could enter to perform the work of service and the service of carrying in the tent of meeting, their numbered men were eighty-eight thousand five hundred and eighty, according to the word of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. They were numbered, every one by his serving or carrying. Thus these were his numbered men, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. Numbers 5 Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge, and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. You shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp, so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. And the sons of Israel did so, and sent them outside the camp, just as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. Thus the sons of Israel did. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins of mankind, acting unfaithfully against Yahweh, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess his sins which he has committed, and he shall make restitution in full for his wrong, and add to it one-fifth of it, and give it to him whom he has wronged. But if the man has no kinsman, redeemer, to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution which is made for the wrong must go to Yahweh for the priest, besides the ram of atonement, by which atonement is made for him. Also every contribution pertaining to all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, which they bring near to the priest, shall be his. So every man's holy gift shall be his. Whatever any man gives to the priest, it becomes his. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, If any man's wife goes astray, and is unfaithful to him, and a man lies sexually with her, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and she is undetected, but she has defiled herself, and there is no witness against her, and she has not been caught in the act. If a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife, and she has defiled herself, or if a spirit of jealousy comes over him, and he is jealous of his wife, but she has not defiled herself, the man shall then bring his wife to the priest, and shall bring as an offering for her one-tenth of an ephah of barley meal. He shall not pour oil on it, nor put frankincense on it, for it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering of remembrance, a reminder of iniquity. 
then the priest shall bring her near and have her stand before Yahweh. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthenware vessel, and the priest shall take some of the dust that is on the floor of the tabernacle and put it into the water. The priest shall then have the woman stand before Yahweh and let the hair of the woman's head go loose, and he shall place the grain offering of remembrance in her hands, which is the grain offering of jealousy. And in the hand of the priest is to be the water of bitterness that brings curses. Then the priest shall have her swear an oath, and shall say to the woman, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not gone astray into defilement, being under the authority of your husband, be free from the water of bitterness that brings curses. If you, however, have gone astray, being under the authority of your husband, and if you have defiled yourself, and a man other than your husband has lain with you, then the priest shall have the woman swear with the oath of the curse, and the priest shall say to the woman, Yahweh make you a curse and an oath among your people, by Yahweh making your thigh fall away and your abdomen swell. And this water that brings curses shall go into your stomach, and make your abdomen swell and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. The priest shall then write these curses on a scroll, and he shall wash them off into the water of bitterness. Then he shall make the woman drink the water of bitterness that brings curses, so that the water which brings a curse will go into her to cause bitterness. And the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand, and he shall wave the grain offering before Yahweh and bring it near to the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the grain offering as its memorial offering and offer it up in smoke on the altar. And afterward he shall make the woman drink the water. So he will have her drink the water, and it will be that if she has defiled... <clears throat> She has defiled herself and has been unfaithful to her husband that the water w which brings curses will go into her to cause bitterness and her abdomen will swell and her thigh will fall away and the woman will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, she will then be free and conceive a seed. This is the law of jealousy, when a wife, being under the authority of her husband, goes astray and defiles herself. Or when a spirit of jealousy comes over a man and he is jealous of his wife, he shall then make the woman stand before Yahweh, and the priest shall apply all this law to her. Moreover, the man will be free from guilt, but the woman shall bear her guilt. Alright, and finally, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have so great a crowd of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary, fainting in heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves he disciplines, and he flogs every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without the discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are Ill illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much, much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a, for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our benefit, so that we may share his holiness. 
and all the discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. But to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord, seeing to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it may many be defiled, that also there be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears." For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the um, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them, for they could not hear. I'm sorry, they could not bear what was being commanded. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was what happened that Moses said, "I am full of fear and trembling." But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the festal gathering and assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not speak when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. Now this expression, yet once more, indicates the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. All right, that is our reading for the day. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. Um, I, I, as I always, I pray that our time together in the Word um, helps us all to be more and more saturated as we need to be. Um, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with is called the love of Jesus. Let's pray. O Father of Jesus, help me to approach thee with deeper reverence, not with presumption, not with servile fear, but with holy boldness. Thou art beyond the grasp of my understanding, but not beyond that of my love. Thou knowest that I love thee supremely. For thou art supremely adorable, good, perfect. My heart melts at the love of Jesus. My brother, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, married to me, dead for me, risen for me. He is mine and I am his, given to me as well as for me. I am never so much mine as when I am his, or so much lost to myself until lost in him. Then I find my true manhood. But my love is frost and cold, ice and snow. Let his love warm me, lighten my burden, be my heaven. May it be more revealed to me in all its influences, that my love to him may be more fervent and glowing. Let the mighty tide of his everlasting love cover the rocks of my sin and care. Then let my spirit float above these things, which had else wrecked my life. Make me fruitful by giving to that love, my character becoming more beautiful every day. 
if traces of Christ's love artistry be upon me, may he work on with this divine with his divine brush until the complete image be obtained, and I be made a perfect copy of him, my master. O Lord Jesus, come to me, O divine spirit, rest upon me, O Holy Father, look on me in memory. Yeah, I'm sorry, in mercy for the sake of the well beloved. Amen. All right. Again, thank you so much for spending this time. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Thursday, February 29th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be getting back into our study of John 18, but we got to open up first. Let's go ahead and open up with prayer from uh, the At the Throne of Grace. It's a compilation of prayers that were done by John MacArthur. Um, I believe it was assembled by his children. Again, as I've told you before, um, it opens up with some scripture. So our scripture for today, uh, so the title for today is Waiting Patiently for God's Perfect Justice. Uh, the text for today is James 5, 1 through 11. Come now, you rich, weep and, and howl for your, sorry, for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborers who, who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld, withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Sabaoth, sorry. You have lived um, luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of, of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the, uh, for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the, er the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, he, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Let's pray. Gracious Father of mercies and God of all comfort, the Lord Jesus said that in this world we would have tribulation. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. A slave is not greater than his master, and because the world persecuted Christ, it is by no means a marvel that worldly hearts today still hate and revile those who stand faithfully for the truth he proclaims. Yet we know that Christ has already overcome the world. We know that his coming in glory draws closer with each passing moment. We know that the prophets and redeemed people of old were blessed through the things they suffered. We remember especially the outcome of Job's trial. We know that the righteous offer and I'm sorry, the righteous suffer and sinners prosper only temporarily. We know that no trouble can assault us without your express permission. Meanwhile, you uphold us with sufficient grace to endure every tribulation. 
and you make for us a way of escape from every temptation. May we draw patience, courage, and strength from that knowledge. Energize our hearts unto godliness, even as you humble us through our trials. We know that a day of justice is coming, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, to deal out retribution to all who do not obey the gospel. So enemies of the, of the gospel, including all who are prosperous in this life, but poor toward you, have nothing to look forward to in eternity but judgment. Everything they have ever gained will be eternally lost. As for us, we will behold your face in righteousness. We will be satisfied when we awaken, transformed into living images of Christ. And on top of that, you have elevated us as your own sons and daughters, and made us joint heirs with the Lord Jesus, to whom all glory belongs, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So, Father, we come as humble and undeserving sinners to worship you, the Most High God, Righteous Judge, Father of Glory, Creator and Sovereign of the Universe. You are great and greatly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. You are abundant in power. Your wisdom is beyond measure. You lift up the humble and cast the wicked down. We bless you for the gospel of peace that delivered our, our souls from the lowest hell. Thank you for the peace that prevails through the gospel. Peace with you, peace with one another, and peace in our hearts. Still we stand in desperate need of your mercy with every breath we draw. Our hearts are prone to be faltering and unfaithful. Deliver us from the temptations of this world, that the deceits of false religion, the errors of our own ignorance, the weakness of our fallen flesh, and the wiles of the devil. Wash us from our daily sins so that we may worship you with pure hands and a clean heart. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. And our evening devotion for today. Um, glorifying God, and I, I've got it in the notes wrong. Glorifying God by Thomas Watson does not have a February 29th. So we are going to use Spurgeon's evening for February 29th because it does. The text for it is from 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Dear reader, have you received the Spirit which is of God, wrought by the Holy Ghost in your soul? The necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart may be clearly seen from this fact, that all which has been done by God the Father and by God the Son must be ineffectual to us, unless the Spirit shall reveal these things to our souls. What effect does the doctrine of election have upon any man until the Spirit of God enters into him? Election is a dead letter in my consciousness until the Spirit of God calls me out of darkness into marvelous light. Then through my calling I see my election, and knowing myself to be called of God, I know myself to have been chosen in the eternal purpose. A covenant was made with the Lord Jesus, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ by his Father. But what avails that covenant to us until the Holy Spirit brings us its blessings and opens our hearts to receive them? There hang the blessings on the nail. Christ Jesus, but being short of stature, we cannot reach, I'm sorry, we cannot reach for them. The Spirit of God takes them down and hands them to us, and thus they become actually ours. Covenant blessings in themselves are like the manna in the skies, far out of mortal reach, but the Spirit of God opens the windows of heaven and scatters the living bread around the camp of the spiritual Israel. Christ's finished work is like wine stored in the wine vat. Through unbelief we can neither draw nor drink. The Holy Spirit dips our vessel into this precious wine, and then we drink, but without the Spirit, 
we are as truly dead in sin as though the Father never had selected and though the Son had never brought us with, bought us with his blood. The Holy Spirit is absolutely necessary to our well-being. Let us walk lovingly towards him and tremble at the thought of grieving him. All right. So we're back in our study of John 18. And hang on a minute. I need a drink of water. All righty. All right. So we, we've been working through. So we, we finished the first 11. Sorry, I keep saying so, don't I? The first 11 verses there of... Uh, John 18, again, was Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Uh, we see him go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, they come to get him. He knocks them down with, with just proclaiming the word of God. Um, and then he heals a man, heals a man's ear that's been chopped off by Peter. Um, so, you know, we see him show, like we talked about, his supreme courage, his supreme power, his supreme love, and his supreme obedience. And again, the key we need to grab through all this, I mean, we see all that supremacy. And what that supremacy, I believe, the way it comes across to me and how it applies for us is we see him all of the, none of this is accidental. None of this is an oops. Um, I, I think I brought it up. I know I've brought it up to you before, probably last week, but, um, used to be when I was a kid, when I was not saved, please understand I was not saved, but that I really liked rock kind of music. So I love Jesus Christ superstar. You know, oh, here's my church stuff, though, of course, not say, my, but my church stuff. But hey, it's being done with a rock, you know, feel. So I was like, oh, boy, except I, you know, and so I would remember the songs and one of the songs and it's Judas singing it. And he's singing, asking, asking Christ if he made a mistake, if he messed up, if he should have come at another time, he should have come in another place, you know, all this kind of stuff. If you really, you know, if you really want to accomplish what you were trying to accomplish, did you mess this up? kind of thing was this a bad did god choose a bad time for you to do this um so and i bring that up to say you know we need to remember that because sometimes whether we sit there and go oh yeah jesus christ superstar is garbage theology really really bad blah 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 but i think sometimes we can let ourselves end up down that path where whether we intentionally or not we think that way we we forget that, you know, like our Savior said, and I know I've said it multiple times this week, I'm going to say it again. He could have summoned 12 legions of angels. And, and you know, of course, we say that and we go, oh, okay. And, I, and I've tried to translate it bluntly. Basically, he's saying that he could nuke the planet. You know, he could nuke the universe, really. He could nuke the universe and start all over again. I mean, worse than when the flood came and left Noah and his family and that was it. And he could have wiped everything out. Everything. Every living thing out had he wanted to. But that was not God's will. That was not the plan that God and Jesus Christ had put in place before the foundation of the earth. So he manifested his courage because please don't ever forget, he's still fully God, but fully and fully man. So yeah, there's going to be fear there. I mean, we, we see that when he's um, in the other gospels, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, that, that he's, he's, he's so under duress that he's sweating to the point that it's like blood pouring out. Okay. So, so, and we have to understand that, that even as a man, even being fully God, he's fully man and he knows what's coming. And, and so again, I'm going to run into it really quick. So we, we keep this for our eyes. Again, I'm not trying to be repetitive, 
but he's about to be beaten. Well, he's about to be mocked by those who should have been celebrating him. Because we have to remember, unlike us, you know, we can sit there and go all we want to. Oh, but we're a good person. We're this or that. No, no, no. You and I are nowhere near and never will be until we're glorified on a level of holiness that Jesus Christ was on. Even at that point, even in incarnate as he was. But he is, he is going to be blasphemed. He is going to be, he's going to be reviled. He is going to be beaten to the point that he's unrecognizable. He's going to be whipped to the point that the gashes in his back show his bones, the bones in his, in his carcass. He's then going to have to carry a portion of his cross out to Golgotha, outside the city. He's going to be nailed to it with these things that are like railroad spikes through his wrists, where the bone's heavier, not the palm of the hand, which would tear out, but by the wrist near the hand and through both feet, one over the top of the other one. To this thing, the, the, the cross brought up and dropped into the hole Think about the impact that would have on these nails through there, much less your body's already beaten up to this point. You're already in pain. And then from everything they say about that kind of, that kind of execution, you could not come, you could not get to a comfortable position. I mean, yeah, you're sitting there going, okay, I've got these things through here, so I'm probably going to bleed out at some point. Yeah, it, it's not going to be that simple. What they say is like if, if you, and again, I don't know this from experience, but when you cut your wrist, basically you end up falling asleep because you, you bleed out. And so you, you end up basically losing consciousness. Yeah, no, that's not what this is going to be like. You're, you're going to be, you're going to collapse down because you're so exhausted, which is going to compress your lungs where you can't breathe. You're going to try to stretch up to open your lungs up so you can breathe better, causing all the pain through your feet and your hands and your back and everything else. Plus, oh my gosh, his back that, like I said, has been torn open to the point where his bones are showing, sliding up and down against the rough wood. Believe me, they didn't plane this wood off like the, um, I've got a wood desk here. They didn't plane it off like the top of my desk is smooth. I can slide my hand back and forth across it smoothly. Oh yeah, none of that. He knows what he's facing, yet he comes to the Garden of Gethsemane anyways. He manifests his power, knocking them to the ground, and then healing Malchus. He defends his, his disciples by saying, you're here for me. You know, he confirms with them again, you're here for me, leave these alone. And then he shows his obedience by allowing them to, by telling Peter, put your sword into the sheath you know, makes the statement, the cup, which the father has given me, shall I not drink it? You know, being clear, listen, this is what the father has set before me. I must be obedient. That's what he's saying there. So again, we went into this new section, starting in verse 12, looking at, um, it's Jesus's trial and Peter's denial. And again, I've talked to you about it. It comes in segments. So we finally finished yesterday. It took us three days to finish verses 12 through 14. We were looking at Jesus's trial, act one. And again, this, we, we saw this, um, of his being arrested, his being taken to Annas. And we talked a little bit about Caiaphas verses 12 through 14. So we're shifting into verses 15 through 18 today. This is act one of Peter's denial. Cause again, it's going to be in two parts here through these verses. So I'm going to read you verse 15 through 18, and then we'll start to dig in. So verse 15 and Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. 
But Peter was standing at the door outside, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, Are you not also one of this man's disciples? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. So, Again, we're going to just break this down verse by verse and dig into what these verses are saying as we move along. And then hopefully, you know, depending on how far we get and when we get to the end of it, we'll summarize it up. So verse 15, let me read it again. And Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. So think about it. <laughs> we saw... Simon Peter, and actually we saw this other disciple too, because this is very, very clear. Um, go back, go to Matthew twenty six fifty six, Matthew's account of this. Um, we see Peter flee at the arrest of Jesus with the rest of the disciples. So this other disciple, and we're going to talk about this, uh, another disciple, we're going to talk about who this is, because it's kind of key. We want to know that. Matthew twenty six fifty six. Then uh, this is towards the end of Matthew twenty six fifty six. Then all the disciples left him and fled. All the disciples left him and fled. I've talked about it before. And again, I don't say it to, uh, I, I say it to show a picture. I'm not saying it to insult them, but they scattered like rats leaving a sinking ship. And, and if, if you've, if you've never seen it, I've seen imagery of it. Obviously I've never seen it live, but I've seen imagery of it. Um, that what all the rats will do is the ship starts going down. They run from the water and they'll get to the point that all the rats are piled up on the last piece of the ship that is above the water. I mean, they, they run and run and run and run and run. And eventually they pile off. Um, of course, if it's tied to the pier, they run across the ropes to the pier. So it, it'll be assuming there are a lot of rats. It, it'll be like a flood of rats pouring off the ship. Well, that's what I'm, that's the imagery I'm trying to tell you. Again, I'm not insulting them. I'm just saying they scattered. They scattered. Believe me, there wasn't any standing around. And this, another disciple that we see in verse 15, spoken of 15 and 16, we're, we're going to, you know, left also as well. But it looks like in verse 15, so that happened at back at verse 10, 11, whatever, um, where they, where they split um, in John 18, it would be around then. But it looks like Peter has gathered his courage back and come back. He and this other disciple. And we see he and this other disciple kind of on a regular basis. They, they tend to push each other a little bit. Not, not negatively. I mean, they, they, tend to one, they tend to stay with each other. They sit, tend to try to be alongside each other as they do these things. Or at least that's how they've come across to me. So Peter is with, again, and Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. So there's a lot of theories as to who this other disciple was. There's a lot of theories. Um, there's some people that have thrown out, they think, oh, it must have been Joseph of Arimathea. Except we don't see Joseph of Arimathea pop out. So, so the only people with him in the garden at that point were the 11. So they would be the only ones who knew that he had been arrested and were on the way to Annas's house. They'd have been the only ones that had any clue of that to, you know, they, to be able to go there and go, okay, 
these were the were these were temple it would have to been somebody had been there because okay he got arrested here there there were temple officers so he's got to be going to somebody and and you know and i would imagine annas and caiaphas leave, live relatively close they could figure who he was going to and then they could follow but only those 11 that were there or judas but of course we know it's not judas those are the only ones that would be following well i would say it's not judas because of what's going on here um so so i don't so so joseph of arimathea doesn't fit any of that and of course we don't see joseph of arimathea show up until after jesus is crucified again while he's been he's he's well known and and tends to be part of the inner council he doesn't show himself till after jesus is crucified okay till after he's crucified so Many theologians, and I would agree with them, I've always been in this camp, even before I was saved, is we believe that this was John the Apostle, the author of this gospel. So, and and we want to remember a few things of why this seems like the appropriate things. Remember, John universally did not refer to himself by name within his own gospel, though he did tend to speak of, or speak of the others by name. So, John, and and what we've also seen as John gone, has gone through this this um, gospel, when he speaks of stuff like this, he speaks of it as an eyewitness. He will be very clear if he wasn't there, but he will go. Well, this was th- this was spoken of by so and so. I I mean, there's ways he'll put it, and I'm probably not saying it very well. But he'll be clear that he didn't witness this. But in this case, the way he's speaking of this, as we watch this walk through all this process, he speaks of it as a first person, as a, he speaks of this other disciple and he speaks of these things happening, um, talking about what's going on in the courtyard and how, what the trial is with Jesus and all of that. He speaks as if he's a witness to this, which would fit the another disciple. So that tends to indicate to us, because we know the book was written by John. So it sounds like John was this other j- disciple. Um, and like I said, some of the details noted through this account are indications of the account of an eyewitness, not someone who was told the story. Uh, verse 18. Um, now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves. And Peter was also with them standing and warming themselves warming himself. I don't know how much writing you've ever done. And again, other than sermon prep and stuff, I don't necessarily do a lot, but when you're reporting something that was told to you, when you're writing something that was told to you, those are not the kind of details you put in there. Those are not typically the times, I mean, maybe if you're writing a fiction story, but I'm talking reporting real life events, you don't talk about a charcoal fire because it being cold and that Peter was standing among them. more. I mean, you, you just don't, you don't quite have that he, maybe Peter was there, but you don't talk about him standing among them, warming himself. And it was the slaves and the officers and all that stuff. You just don't have those kind of details. So it's clear John was actually there. Now, but we'll run across here. And we're going to want to look at this a little bit. That we see here in this verse Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. So that could bring some question to that is, 
did John really know the high priest? Well, let, let's talk about that. So John's father, Zebedee, we, we see that John, John and James are the sons of Zebedee. Zebedee was not just a simple fisherman. He was a businessman such that his business was large enough that he had servants to help run the business. That was not normal. Okay. Please don't think that was not normal. It's not like nowadays, um, where you, where you turn around. One of, one of the things and I'm sure there was a lot more to it. I'm not trying to insult these folks, but, um, one of the moving companies we see around is two men in a truck. And the whole premise is two guys went, bought a truck and they started doing moving. That, that that's not the kind of thing that, that that's not Zebedee. Okay. For him to have servants, Mark 1, 19 and 20, and going on a little further, he saw, this is Christ, saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Not slaves, hired servants, meaning he had employees. That is a businessman. I mean, yeah, he's a he's probably a good fisherman, but he's a businessman. My guess would be he had more than one boat. It wouldn't even surprise me if Peter and Andrew at times worked for Zebedee because they might make better money that way. So this is a businessman. Okay, this is a businessman. This is not someone typically in the bottom 99, 95, 96, 97% of Israel, of Israel society. This is somebody that's maybe not in the top 1%, but he's not in the bottom there. He's somebody that would be considered somebody to associate with by the religious elite to some sense or another. Now, I will say this. I don't know whether this is true, but from the apocryphal gospel of the Hebrews, that seems to indicate that John used to deliver fish to the high priest's house while still working for his father before he started following Jesus. I don't know whether that's true or not. Okay, again, it's from the Gospel of Hebrews. I'm just bringing that information to you um, to know that there is some documentation out there that says that. How true it is, I don't know. So again, I'm not, I'm not standing by its veracity. But there's even more. Um, John's mother, Salome, was possibly of priestly descent. So here we're going to look at the relationships here. Matthew 27, 55 and 56. So this is at the crucifixion. And many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So John's mother was there. And there was also some women, so this is Mark's account, and there were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Less and Joseph, so we, we've seen those, James and Joseph, and Salome, who when he was in Galilee were following him and serving him, and there were many, of, many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. That seems to indicate that Salome was the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Well, one more. John nineteen twenty five. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Well, you don't see Salome indicated there. Now that may have been, may be a a a miss, except it's really possible looking across those that Salome was the sister of 
of Jesus's mother. She, she was his aunt. So that indication is that Salome was the mother of the sons of Zebedee and that she was Mary, the mother of Jesus's sister. Okay. So again, that would indicate that James and John were actually Jesus's cousins. Now as intermarried as some of the, some of those families were, that wouldn't be that surprising. I'm not trying to say intermarried as far as, you know, from Alabama. And, and I say that being, having been born in Alabama, being from Alabama. So please don't take that as an insult. I'm just saying it, it's not that kind of consanguineous stuff. But again, so, so it sounds like Salome may have been the mother of Mary. Well, let's think, think about where Mary came from. Remember, Mary was related to Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Luke one thirty six, and behold, your relative Elizabeth has also, so this Gabriel talking to her, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, who was of the priestly line, the line of Aaron. Luke one five. in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiha, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So again, we've got Elizabeth who is the mother of John the Baptist, who's obviously from the priestly line, a wife from the daughters of Aaron, her name Elizabeth, and Mary, this is, this is Mary's relative. So Mary was related to Elizabeth through her mother as she was related to King David through her father. We know that. We have that documented clearly in the Gospels. So she must be related to Elizabeth through her mother. That means she's related to the Aaronic priesthood through her mother, so that would seem to indicate that Salome, John's mother, was related to the priestly line through their mother. So that would seem to indicate that John the Apostle was related through his mother to the priestly line. Thus, it's absolutely possible that John would be known by the high priest, even though he was now a disciple of Jesus. I mean, yeah, we can, we can also say very clearly that they might have known John already, because John, along with the other disciples, have been going all over the place. They've been, they've been, um, you know, um, dispossessing. They've been running demons off. They've been healing people and all of that. We we got we tend to forget that. But Jesus sent them out, and they were doing all that. They were having a huge impact in the area. But at the same time, when we look here, now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. Now it would seem to indicate. The being known and entering with Jesus into the court of the high priest. Again, as we'll see, there is a doorkeeper that is only going to let in those who are supposed to be let in. Now, again, we're going to come in, we're going to see that doorkeeper is not necessarily a temple guard or anything like that, but it but but looks to be somebody of the high priest's household, but somebody that knows this apostle, somebody that knows John. So we've got Peter and John, and they're following. And as they get to the high priest's house, John is allowed in, is allowed to go on in to the courtyard to see what's going to go on. And we're going to stop there for the day. So we only made it through a verse. And I'm sorry, but it, it feels like th those are things we need to understand that, 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 you know, this is not that large of a country. I mean, I know we talked about Jerusalem swelling to over a million people. But these were people coming from all over the known world, Jews coming from all over the known world to celebrate the Passover. But the actual population of the area was not necessarily that big. 
So people were known. And again, like we said, Zebedee was a businessman. John and James were his apprentices. I mean, they were his sons. They would have been known. And they would have been known by the high priest. So John and Peter gathered their, gathered their courage back up and they followed Jesus into the beginning of his trial, his, the beginning of his time with Annas. All right. Well, tomorrow evening, God willing, we'll pick back up with verse 16. Hopefully, I think I can get 16 through 18 done. So next week we can pick up in the first part of the actual trial before Annas, his actual meeting with Annas and his questioning. But I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that our time together helps us all to grow in the word. And let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye, and prepare us to receive the proof, the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger, that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease, that we may value the good physician. Placard us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.